Silicon Valley Bank collapses, sending ripples through the financial markets. This was a 250-something dollar stock like 36 hours ago. It's now a zero dollar stock. You don't see that very often. What fundamentally happened is a bank run, but in a very different way than many other bank runs have happened. And the Fed is looking closely at the latest jobs report, which shows a resilient labor market. Plus, China brokers a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. It's Friday, March 10th. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. This is the PM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories that moved the world today. U.S. stocks tumbled as investors ran for safe havens today, unnerved by concerns about the health of the U.S. financial system and a still strong jobs report. The sell-off deepened after regulators shut down Silicon Valley Bank, marking the largest bank failure in the U.S. since 2008. The Dow fell about 1 percent, the S&P 500 dropped over 1.5 percent, and the Nasdaq was down nearly 1.8 percent. Bond yields tumbled. We'll have more on SVB and what it means for the broader market in just a few minutes. Meanwhile, U.S. employers added 311,000 jobs to the economy in February, another sign of economic resiliency that could complicate the Federal Reserve's plan to cool growth by raising interest rates. The Labor Department also reported that the unemployment rate rose slightly to 3.6 percent. With the Fed aggressively raising interest rates to tame inflation, many economists had expected job gains would cool or even turn into losses by now. Fed Chair Jerome Powell indicated during congressional testimony this week that the central bank is keeping its options open on whether the next rate hike will be a quarter or a half percentage point. The Fed's next policy meeting is March 21st and 22nd. In international affairs, after seven years of estrangement, Iran and Saudi Arabia have agreed to re-establish diplomatic ties in a deal brokered by China. Our Middle East correspondent Stephen Kalin says China's involvement is significant. This suggests that there's a bit of a shift in that. They're sort of dipping their toe into the diplomatic area and the very troublesome conflicts in the region that the United States has been involved with for decades. China now is trying its hand at that. So it's its first real foray into this area. And it does raise questions about the U.S. supremacy and influence in the region at a time when a lot of American allies in the region are questioning the U.S. security commitment, the U.S. interest and staying power in the region when it's seemingly more concerned with confronting Russia and Ukraine and competing with China. As part of the agreement, Iran has pledged to halt attacks against Saudi Arabia, according to Saudi, Iranian and U.S. officials. That includes attacks from Houthi rebels it backs in Yemen's civil war. Iran and Saudi Arabia agreed also to reopen their embassies and missions on each other's soil. Back in the U.S., on Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives voted 419 to 0 to approve a bill that would require the Biden administration to declassify intelligence related to potential links between the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China and the COVID-19 pandemic. The bill already passed the Senate by unanimous consent. The White House has not issued a formal position on the bill, which would give the Director of National Intelligence 90 days to declassify the information. China has disputed that the virus could have leaked from one of its labs. A spokeswoman for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence declined to comment. 
And we report exclusively that the FBI once bought mobile phone data that could track a person's location. That's according to a disclosure FBI Director Christopher Wray made to a Senate committee this week, though he said the FBI no longer engages in this practice. The Supreme Court has ruled that a warrant is required to track a phone through cell networks or to install a GPS tracking device on a car. But the massive amounts of data now available for sale offers a new source for such data, which raises legal questions about how and when the government should be permitted to buy it. Over the past several years, the use of purchase data for tracking has trickled down from the military to federal, state, and local police forces. The FBI declined to comment beyond Ray's remarks. Civil liberties groups and privacy activists have been sharply critical of such government purchases. Coming up, Silicon Valley Bank's collapse deepened a sell-off in bank stocks today. How the bank's failure is reverberating through the broader market and whether it will continue to spread after the break. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Today, Silicon Valley Bank, known as SVB, collapsed. It is the second largest bank in the U.S. by assets to fail, after Washington Mutual. The collapse followed a run on deposits that doomed the tech-focused lenders' plans to raise fresh capital. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corp., or FDIC, said it had taken control of the bank via a new entity it created, and that all of the bank's deposits have been transferred to the new bank. Insured depositors will have access to their funds by Monday morning, according to the FDIC. So how did we get to this point, and what does it mean for the industry? Our financial editor, Charles Farrell, is here now to explain. Welcome, Charles. Great to be here, Anne-Marie. So, Charles, this is the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history in terms of assets held. How has it affected the broader banking sector? Well, it certainly made people take notice. There has been uh, a lot of reaction in the market today and yesterday. Yesterday, all of the banks sold off pretty heavily. Uh, We're seeing a little bit of a disparate reaction today. Some of the bigger banks, J.P. Morgan, chief among them, um, are up today. uh, But some of those smaller banks, and particularly some of the regional banks, are still getting hit. First Republic is down a bunch. Signature is down a bunch. And Truist, which is a uh, big regional, is also down. And so we're seeing a divergence of reactions from investors who are trying to figure out where this will go next. So let's take a step back here. What happened and how did it unravel so quickly? So the basic thing that happened is that the depositors of Silicon Valley Bank took their money out faster than Silicon Valley Bank could give them that money. And that was a problem that became very acute this week. And the bank had to sell a bunch of securities stuff, assets that it had on its balance sheets in order to raise money to pay the depositors back. And this sort of started a cycle where when you sell these things, they had to sell them at a loss and they took a loss and that made their position worse. And that makes more people want to take the money out. And so it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And they tried overnight last night and into this morning to raise fresh money. Um, They were unable to do that. And there was really no choice but to say game over and um, over to the FDIC. The sudden collapse of SVB caught most investors off guard, and most Wall Street analysts also didn't see it coming either. Why was that? 
That's a great point. I mean, this was a two hundred and fifty something dollar stock like thirty six hours ago. It's now a zero dollar stock. You don't see that very often. There are a couple of reasons for this, but none especially satisfying. The problem here, what what fundamentally happened is a bank run, but in a very different way than many other bank runs have happened. A lot of the sort of more familiar bank runs that people have in their heads is the bank does something bad, you know, it invests in um, something bad, or there's a fraud, or it made a bunch of loans to people who couldn't pay them back. None of that really happened here. Silicon Valley Bank mostly took deposits and bought what should have been the safest assets in the world, which are the safest assets in the world, treasuries and uh, and agency-backed mortgage securities. And yet, for complex reasons, that wasn't going to save it. So it was a different unwinding than has happened in the past. And that, that's kind of my best explanation for why it went so quickly. The FDIC said that insured depositors will have access to their money by Monday. What happens with the rest of the customers and what happens with the deposits that are higher than the insurance limits? Uh, hope and pray, I think is probably the right answer. Uh, so the uninsured depositors will get something back. The FDIC said they will get uh, kind of an advance payment on their deposits sometime within the next week or so. But exactly how much they will get and how much of the rest of it they will get will depend on the FDIC being able to effectively sell or transfer the assets of Silicon Valley Bank and how much they are able to reap from that determines how much the depositors get paid back. There's another possible outcome here, which is it's possible that that the FDIC is able to engineer some kind of shotgun merger where somebody else takes over SVB and they can kind of proceed as, as they were before. But as it stands right now, it could be a wait for uninsured depositors to get their money back, and it's not clear that they will get all of it back. What can you tell us about the degree to which this is contained or whether it's likely to continue spreading out across the financial sector? Hard to say. Uh, it's very it's very hard to say. The thing that has happened here also happened in a different way at Silvergate, which was a bank that catered predominantly to crypto customers. And there are two common ingredients here. One is investing in a bunch of treasuries or mortgage-backed securities. And the second thing is depositors that for one or another reason are likely to pull their deposits out. For Silvergate, number two is easy. Its customers were crypto exchanges, and the crypto exchanges yanked all their money out in the big crypto meltdown. And Silicon Valley Bank, its depositors were largely tech companies, startups, and venture capitalists. And a lot of startups have, for the last several months, been burning cash. And so what that literally means is they're writing checks out of their Silicon Valley Bank account. That money is going out of Silicon Valley Bank and nothing is coming in to replenish it. So both of those banks had the sort of flighty depositor problem, but they also both had the investing heavily in long-term treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And right now, interest rates are much, much, much higher. So those mortgage-backed securities and treasuries that you have are much less valuable than the ones that are currently being issued on the market. So you're stuck with a bunch of things that nobody wants to buy. And both of those banks had that problem. So what investors are doing is looking across the landscape to try to see what other banks have those twin problems, flighty depositors and a really big reliance on long-dated underwater effectively treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Financial editor Charles Farrell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Emory. And finally, 
The Envelope Please. Ahead of the Oscars this Sunday, the Wall Street Journal and Morning Consult polled more than 4,000 people, asking them about the films they'd seen from the 10 that were up for Best Picture. The Wall Street Journal Oscar rankings poll found that people largely voted for movies that did well at the box office, like action flick Top Gun Maverick or Avatar The Way of Water, a popular science fiction franchise. But our Style Desk reporter Ellen Gammerman says some of the critically acclaimed films flew under the radar. Only three of the ten films nominated for Best Picture sounded even remotely familiar to a majority of American adults. And those films were Top Gun Maverick, Avatar, The Way of Water, and Elvis. The rest, maybe a quarter of U.S. adults had heard something about everything, everywhere, all at once, which is favored for a ton of Oscars if things go as predicted, and All Quiet on the Western Front, which has been a big star this awards season as well. And then when you get down to the bottom, only 10% of people had heard anything about Triangle of Sadness, which won the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival. And you can follow our Oscars coverage on WSJ.com. And that's what's news for this week. Our hosts are me, Anne-Marie Fertoli, and Luke Vargas. The show was produced by Pierre Bienname and Kate Bullivant, with help from Anthony Bancy, Julie Chang, Daniela Cheslow, Zoe Thomas, and J.R. Whalen, and editorial support from Alan Haberchak, Sandra Kilhoff, Michael Kosmides, Falana Patterson, and Chris Sinsley. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us, and we'll be back on Monday morning. Thanks for listening. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.